Welcome to the first episode of American Midterms. Before we get into it, let's talk about some current news. Hurricane Ian has left Florida devastated this week. With foreboding statements by both Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and President Biden, they've signaled that this will be one of the most destructive storms in American history and that substantial loss of life will occur. In a move uncharacteristic of Governor DeSantis, he is reaching across the aisle and seeking help. We all need to work together regardless of party lines, he said. And so far he has been. He's thanked President Biden for offering a variety of federal resources to Florida and its neighboring states. I'm bringing this story up for a reason. Despite every narrative we hear, all the divisiveness and partisanship that we cannot get away from, there is some hope that our elected officials can actually get things done in times of emergency. We saw it when Obama visited Chris Christie after Hurricane Sandy in New Jersey. We saw it at least for a little while when COVID first began under Trump's presidency, and we are seeing it again now. I'm going to be the first to admit our political system is in a bad place. We have had many bad politicians in office who I genuinely would not trust to manage a Little League baseball team, let alone our country. Common ground is found on very few issues, and media ecosystems feed people opinionated or downright false information about the world in which we live in. Not to mention that we live in a two-party state where unique ideas can never gain much traction. But there is hope. Most people want to do the right thing, even politicians who have their own ambitions and own motivations. President Biden cares about America. Governor DeSantis cares about Florida. They care at least enough to put politics aside for a few crucial days to help get resources to families losing their homes and loved ones. This election is important because of all the hot button issues like inflation and guns and abortion and climate change and education. Yes, of course, those issues are extremely important and you should think about those. But it is also important because we have the power to thrust people into office who show they care and can work together some of the time or maybe just maybe all of the time. Imagine that. And now for our interview with Tim Malloy. Today is our very first guest, Tim Malloy. Tim Malloy is a polling analyst for the Quinnipiac Polling Institute. He's a 33-year vet of TV news and a seasoned political reporter. Um, Tim, you've won 14 Emmy Awards and you've co-authored a book with James Patterson. Why don't you tell us um, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your time working for the Polling Institute? Sure, Matthew. Well, I did, as you said, I, I worked uh, in TV news in New York, LA, and South Florida for almost 33 years, and last 10 of which I did a lot of war coverage in Afghanistan and Iraq. So I did a lot of news. Uh, and then uh, the former president of Quinnipiac, John Leahy, called me because I knew him one day and said, how would you like to work for our poll? We hired journalists to, you know, because you guys tried to hit it down the middle, and that's what a poll does. And we had a good relationship, and I said yes. And that was... Um, I guess 11 years ago. So that's how I've ended up uh, with the Quinnipiac poll, which is a, which is a pretty cool job. That's, that's awesome. So you're in Florida now, you're working remotely. Um, was that something that kind of came about during the pandemic or? No, actually uh, we did this anyway. Uh, my colleague, Mary Snow is a former CNN uh, reporter, won a lot of awards doing that is, is works out of New York. Doug Schwartz, our, our boss works out of Connecticut. And we travel from time to time to New York and Washington, but basically we do a lot of stuff like we're doing it with you right now remotely. Yeah, yeah. Great. So let's jump into the question. There was an article that came out this week in the New York Times. Uh, the title poses the question, are the polls wrong again? And it goes on to detail um, 
talks about a lot of polling results from 2020, 2016 that were wrong at some key battleground states. How have polling institutions such as yours changed their strategies um, to deliver more accurate results? You know, that's a methodology question and a methodology question. I'm the analyst of the results and not the methodology guy, so I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it. We, we know that we tweaked a few things. We uh, give people a chance to, uh, to answer partial uh, surveys. Uh, we've not gone to computerize. As you know, we call cell phones as well as uh, home phones. So that's a leg up on some polls. Because yeah. if you don't call cell phones, you're never going to get a young person. So I can't really dive in. You'd have to talk to Doug Schwartz, the guy who runs the place, to get that. I can tell you this. Uh, yes, we were all off some more than others. We did well in some places, not so well in others. And it was a strange time. And, and, and the question we have now is sometimes whether people are actually going to give you the, an honest answer. So you try to fine tune your questions, get a very specific question and a very specific answer. Methodology wise, I can't really dive into it. Okay. Well, I appreciate it nonetheless. You know, since we're talking about the Quinnipiac poll, it's always kind of had national recognition. But um, in 2020, after the presidential um, election, I believe early November, uh, Trump mentioned the poll. He put it on blast saying. To highlight just a few examples, the day before election, Quinnipiac, which was wrong on every occasion that I know of. How did you react to that? Um, how did how did Doug react to that? You'll have to ask Doug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, uh, I don't dive too much into that. Frankly, we were not terribly phased by any of that. Uh, you know, six months later, we probably had, and I think we did, uh, better numbers for him and didn't hear a word. Uh, we've also been criticized by the Biden administration. You know, politicians, if they don't like what they hear, they may vocalize it. And then yeah. a lot of them say, well, we don't pay attention to the polls anyway. And then, of course they do. So to answer the question, we, you know, look, we've been around for a long time. We uh, play it straight. We're, you know, nonpartisan. I don't know what politics my colleagues have. It's run by a university, carefully watched. Uh, and I, you know what? We don't worry about anybody else. We just try to do the right thing. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, what I was most hurt by was he he mispronounced the name of my school. He said Quinnipiac. It's Quinnipiac University. He, for, he didn't even come close, did he? <laughs> No, well, I don't know how Biden would even say it either. So, you know, it's it, it can go both ways. But um, let's get into the analysis then. Um, I yeah. want to talk about the so-called Biden bump um, in July, as you know. Your poll, the approval rating for President Biden was about 31 percent. Uh, that was not great. Um, it's still not stellar. But now in August, we're seeing approval numbers of 40 percent. And then other polls are showing it climbing even a bit higher in September. Is this because of student loan debt relief? Is this because of lowering gas prices? And is this sustainable, do you think? Well, I think you answered your own question to some degree. Uh, gas prices went down. Inflation is still a big concern, but maybe, maybe easing a bit. Student loan, we saw a bump in uh, younger voters who we sample in our demographics. Uh, he did a little better with them. The Ukraine war did not turn into a nuclear conflict, which a lot of people worried about a year ago, or, or sorry, six months ago. Uh, COVID easing could be a lot of things. And then you got to look at what's been going on the other side. You've got uh, January 6th still lingers. You've got uh, the Mar-a-Lago uh, seizure of records that shouldn't have been there. Uh, there's been a lot of flopping around by the Republicans on the other side as well. So, it, you know, I think you've got it. It's a confluence of a lot of uh, fairly positive things for Biden and kind of negative things on the other side. 
Yeah, that's interesting to hear. Um, you know, I guess it's not very common for a, or is it very common for a former president um, for their troubles post-presidency to be affecting the current president? I guess we're kind of, you think we're living in a different environment now where, um, you know, we have a former president who still is not out of the political arena. Um, what, do, what do you think about all that? I think we're through the looking glass. We've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. Uh, Trump will not go away, does not plan to, apparently. Uh, no president has this many things, uh, potentially negative uh, charges thrown at him like he has. Uh, the country's probably more divided than it's ever been. I've been doing this for only 11, 12 years. But you talk to all the old pros in politics. There's never been a time like this. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a volatile time. It's a divided time. And uh, hopefully somehow we'll coalesce and get the right leadership in place and, and start getting along. But right now it's, it's kind of a dangerous time. Yeah, we can only hope. And I think people have have said that before um, about kind of living in unprecedented times. But I, I, I think it's, it's really the truth right about now. Okay, let's right. get back to it. Let's talk about Georgia a little bit. Um, in 2016, yeah. Trump won Georgia by five points and the GOP incumbent senator won the state by 14 points. Um, then in 2020, President Biden won by less than a quarter of a percentage point. And a few short months later, both John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock became the first Democratic senators to represent the state since 2005. Now Warnock is leading the polls for his re-election bid against former football star Herschel Walker. Can you talk to me a little bit about the poll results that are showing him having a slight edge over Walker and what this might mean for the midterms yeah, and the future yeah. of Georgia? The, that's a very interesting race. You know, uh, Warnock leads by about six, I think, which is not a big lead. But importantly in this, Matthew, is that he has the vast majority of African-American voters are on his side. Independents are on his side. And we asked a question about uh, basically favorability, which is, you know, not just what you've done is what you're going to do. And also your character issues, what kind of, that's a, a broad uh, label, right? It's not like approval. It's like everything about the person. And he's right. way ahead of uh, Herschel Walker on that. There's a lot of reasons for it probably. So that's six is uh, not a big number, but when you look at the the, the subset questions, uh, Warnock, it seems as though he's in pretty good shape. Um, but yeah, consequential center race, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, does this mean Georgia is turning into, I guess, a swing state? Is this turning into a blue state? What do, what do you think about that? The Georgia is probably a purple state at this point, you know, so yeah. like Texas like Texas, like Colorado, I'm not sure now. I mean, you know, that's sort of the way the trend is going. Um, yeah, Georgia is one of the more interesting states we cover. I mean, it's really always worth watching. And of course, uh, uh, you know, during the election, the, the, the ballot thing, and the Trump wanting to get, you know, to find some votes. Georgia's been on my, our minds ever since the election. Georgia on our minds. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all the questions I have for you about the poll results. If you'll humor me, I have a quick little game. I like to call it two polls and a lie. I got three poll results. Um, two of them are true. One of them is a lie that I just made up. Do you, do you mind playing this game with me? And you can well, let's, let's see where it goes. <laughs> Go try ahead. to snipe out the lie. You're a polling analyst. I, I think you'll be able to get it. All right. Okay. So uh, a poll was released this week um, saying Lisa Murkowski was trailing Kelly Shabaka by eight points in the first choice um, ballot poll. This was from the Alaska AARP. 
Um, a poll was released from Trafalgar saying the congressional job approval is at 29%. And a poll was released from uh, a sooner poll from Oklahoma was released saying the Democratic candidate for governor was only one point behind the incumbent candidate for governor. Which one's a lie? Which one is a lie? Yeah. Jeez, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, this 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 is a test of whether I'm following these races. I'm not following these races as a pollster, so we don't poll Alaska. Um, a lie. In other, oh, I was supposed to second one. I don't know. Yeah, it's congressional job approval. I yeah, this was more of a personal question. I know you guys don't cover all these, but um, congressional job approval is not at twenty nine percent. It's actually at nineteen percent. Oh, I got you know. Frankly, I, I misunderstood the question. Yeah, I mean, congressional job approval. Anybody involved in politics has a, a, a sub twenty approval rating pretty much across the board. Yeah. So I kind of blew it on the question. It was a good question. No worries. I appreciate you. That's all I got for you, Tim. Thank you for listening to this episode, a production of QU Podcasts. I'm Matt Harlock, and our producer is Grace McGuire. Our videographer is Tyler Salter, and our social media coordinator is Olivia Geckler. Music from Free Music Archive and our sound bites from WFSB News. Be sure to follow us, American Midterms, on Instagram. See you next week. Thank you.